My name's Andy, and I'm just so privileged to be here with you guys. I serve on staff, most of you know, now as the lead pastor, and it's just a humbling, a humbling spot to be in. I get to serve along an amazing group of um, staff and volunteers. And yeah, like Rachel said, we've, we've been in the book of James um, since about halfway through uh, January. We've had a couple, we've had a, a break with Prayer Week this last week as Josh Keller came and shared, uh, but we're jumping right back in. And I know um, some of you weren't here when we started that. We, we have some new faces here even today, which I'm excited to see you here. Um, so I want to give you a little bit of background about the book of James before, before we jump in. Uh, the book of James was written by a man named James. All right? Wow, exactly. Uh, he was Jesus' brother. Uh, his, his parents were Mary and Joseph. After his brother Jesus was crucified and resurrected, James eventually became a leader in the early church in Jerusalem. And this letter, which is believed to be the first letter penned of the New Testament, was for Christian Jews scattered outside of Palestine. He was writing to those under persecution, living in a complex and contrary culture, in order to instruct them on how they could live out what they believed in their everyday life. A life filled with, as we've already learned up to this point, trials and temptations. This is why James was extremely practical and no-nonsense in his letter, which we've been saying is just as, as timely for us today in 2024 as it was when it was written nearly 2,000 years ago. We'll begin reading in James chapter 2, verse 14. You guys can turn there. If there's Bibles in the chairs in front of you, um, or if you have it on your, on your phone, or you brought your Bible. That's awesome. Uh, we live in a world, you guys, and, and I think we all realize this, where it's becoming increasingly more difficult to distinguish real from fake, or fake from if it's authentic or not, right? With advancements in technology, artificial intelligence, even things coming out this last week, that are just absolutely mind-boggling in the, terms, in, in the way of artificial intelligence and video, it's hard and it's going to become increasingly more difficult for us to decide if something is real or not. It's kind of, kind of crazy. And then there's, there's scams. Anybody ever maybe, you know, raise your hand, been experienced a scam, whether it's someone calling you to let you know that your, your car's warranty is about to expire, Right? Or maybe uh, you need to send money somewhere for someone that you know and, and you're getting duped in the process. Um, or maybe you're just trying to stream the high school football game and you go on there and there's like 25 different options of, of fake streams that are going to try to lead you down a path that you don't want to go. Scams are everywhere, right? Um, or maybe you're just wanting to buy someone a present and you, can get, you get scammed or you... This picture right here is this cute sweater that Austin saw early December this last year. And she just made the comment, Andy, look at this cute sweater. And I was like, oh yeah, babe, super cute. And you look closely and you can see like the trees are like, it's three-dimensional, right? It's like, looks like a, I mean, it's a nice sweater, right? (laughs) Real nice, you guys. And that's kind of all she said. And I took note of this and I know like, you know, she likes Christmas sweaters and stuff. And so I went and looked this up later on. And I was like, I'm going to get her this sweater. Right? And so I just clicked buy, you know, 27 bucks or whatever, plus shipping. Went through my PayPal account. All was good. And then 
I went back to the website and I was like, I don't normally do this. That I looked at the reviews and it's like, be the first to review. And I clicked on a bunch of other things and it's like, be the first to review. Like there is no reviews available. And so like a week went by or so and I told Austin, I said, hey, just so you know, that sweater that you thought was cute, I bought it for you. And she goes, it's probably never coming. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, I, for sure that was, that was not a legit website. And I was like, you, you didn't tell me. <laughs> I was just like, oh, da, 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 da. nice husband, gonna buy her this cute sweater. Well, January comes and a package arrives in the mail of the sweater. <laughs> if you can tell, this, it looks like a picture of that was printed on this. It is not three-dimensional. It's not a even really a sweater material. Even the lines around the, the collar are fake, right? It is not real, you guys. It is not real. I'm, I'm glad it came, but... She, at least we got something. She goes, well, it's still kind of cute. I was like, yeah, if you like blurry or like squint a little bit and like, yeah, it looks just like the real thing, right? I got had a little bit, didn't I? Um, but here's the deal. As believers living in this age, we long for the real thing. We, we don't want a fake, cheap imitation. We want the real thing. And that's what James is going to be sharing with us today in chapter 2, starting at verse 14. Let's read this together. What good is it? What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. James says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you not want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Lord God, um, we pray as we open your word that you would help us to discern what is real about our faith, what is authentic, and that you would lead us in your path um, to live a life filled with faith that is trust, uh, producing evidence in our life as a testimony to you at work. 
We pray that you'd open our minds, open our hearts right now to receive your words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So James is using this word faith. And he's using the word not in the sense, as we saw, in a genuine saving faith, but rather he's using the term faith as like a mere intellectual acceptance of certain truths without trust in Christ as our Savior. Like, sure, I have faith that there's one God, meaning, well, yeah, I've accepted and I believe intellectually that there is one God, but I don't go beyond that. That's, that's the kind of faith that James is talking about. Because a saving faith, a saving faith is belief and trust in God that reveals itself through our lives. There is evidence, is what James's position is. Uh, inevitably, a saved person will produce good deeds as a response to being saved. So I want us to be really clear here. We're not saying that our good deeds earn our way to, to salvation or to right standing with God. We know that that is not true. It is um, through faith, through by grace, that we are justified, that we are made right. But the evidence of if our faith is real or not is through how we live our life transformed after that in response. We good on that one? This can get a little tricky here, and I don't, I don't want that to be a gray area for us. So, we're going to start with fake faith, okay? A faith without fruit or a faith without evidence. I'm going to give you three things. The first one, in verse 16, it's, it's false. The thing about faith, fake faith is it is false. It is artificial. It's not the real thing. And I found this definition online that was helpful. It actually is deliberately meant to be deceptive, okay? What good is it? My brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? It's artificial. It's not sincere, right? Maybe we've been on the receiving end of someone saying something like that, or you maybe done that yourself, where you wish someone well who has a need. You could meet that need but you just wish them well. You don't actually step in and help them. You don't have that evidence of your faith in action. He says it's false. That's not, it's not the real thing. It's inauthentic. Second, it's futile. It is incapable of producing any useful result. It's pointless. I love how he says, so you believe that there is one God. Good job. Even the demons believe that. Okay, and they shudder because they, they know what God is capable of and who he is. So we say we believe there is one God. But if, that, if that's where it stops, it's pointless. It's worthless, right? That intellectual knowledge of, yeah, sure, I believe that, whatever. We don't move beyond there. He's saying it's futile. The third is fatal. We'll go very, to the very end, verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is what? Dead. It's not living. It's not active. It doesn't have a pulse. It's not real. Our words matter. But you guys have heard the phrase, I'm sure. 
actions speak louder than words, right? And as believers, we have to be really careful that we don't just go, oh, I have, I have faith or on the other camp, well, I just do good stuff. I don't really like know too much about God, but I'm just doing the good stuff, right? No, it says we need to have faith and works. Those are like a, a, a connected thing. Does that make sense? A faith, a faith that produces no change in behavior over time is not a true saving faith, James is saying. It's dead. So we have the fake faith, opposite of fake, real, authentic, genuine. I'm going to give us a few, a few things here that, that align with God's word that tell us what it looks like to have an authentic, transformational faith. I'm going to give you a bonus one, okay? And it's, it's an abiding faith. Everybody say abiding. Abiding is to like remain with or to sit with, to stay connected with. Jesus says this in John 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. He is, it is, that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified, Jesus says, that you bear much fruit. And so, what's the word? Prove to be my disciples. Jesus is saying, hey, where's the proof that this is real? Abide with me. All right. What is this? It's a peach tree. Guess what? A peach tree makes peaches, right? I, when we lived in West Des Moines, we had a peach tree in our backyard. And one year it had one scraggly little peach on it. And that's when we realized it was a peach tree. And the next year, there were more peaches than we knew what to do with. We were letting our friends know, hey, stop by, grab some peaches. And they were awesome. But for me to say, hey, this is a peach tree, it produces peaches, is quite redundant, isn't it? And yet, sometimes... We get in this trap as Christians. I am a follower of Jesus. I am a Christ follower. I am a Christian. I am a disciple. And we leave it there. Or we say, I am a disciple that makes disciples. Well, that's kind of the definition of the word disciple, right? An apprentice, someone who comes under Jesus as their Lord and learns and then puts into practice, learns and then emulates, learns and then imitates, learns and then teaches someone else. That's what a follower of Christ is. So an authentic faith is first, it's obedient. <clears throat> Abraham and Rahab, remember those, those names that, that James wrote in the scriptures here? Uh, remember who James is also writing to. He is writing to Jewish Christians, all right? They would be very familiar with these two characters in the Old Testament. Abraham, father of the faith, right? Good guy. Leader of God's people, Israel. He, he was willing to, to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar if that's what it meant when God asked him to do that. He was obedient to that. Rahab, on the other hand, for these people would be also a familiar story, complete opposite type of person. Some people might even say, ah, well, maybe Rahab was kind of a bad guy. Maybe she was. She, she was a prostitute. She, she was uh, a 
a foreigner. She was a Canaanite woman. Um, she was a sinner. Like, but what James is saying here is they were both justified or they were made right by their belief in God coupled with their actions. She hid some spies, right? Um, and then, here, let me find this quick. Joshua 2. If you guys want to read this story later, it's, it's incredible. She says this to these spies, when we heard of it, or sorry, we heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we, she lived in Jericho, when we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. She believed in the one true God. She saw the evidence of the one true God and she had faith and it was a saving faith. They were both saved by faith, evidenced through their actions. Jesus says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know our by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. It's authentic. It drives us to action. Check out this quote. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Faith is only real when there is obedience, never without it. And faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. Let that sink in a little bit. So authentic faith is first obedient. Second, it's observable. You can see it. You can see it within yourself. Is my faith authentic in the way that I'm trusting God in this situation? And some of those things are only observable by you and the Lord. And then there's other things. There's evidence, but maybe the fruit of the Spirit, that is observable by those around you. Yeah, they're following Jesus. They're trusting in him. Their faith is real. And I see it by the fruit that it's producing in their life. Not peaches, but love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. James 2.18 says this, Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. An authentic faith is visible by our, our life, our actions, and it's in alignment with the words that we speak. I came across this quote when I was in high school, or sorry, my freshman year of college. Small school, northern Iowa. I was reading this book by this guy named Donald Miller called Blue Like Jazz. And he has this, this friend in the story, and this is what his friend says, what I believe is not what I say I believe. What I believe is what I do. Like I can say I believe in God, I believe in, or I believe in like these qualities and these characteristics of, of a believer, but if I don't act in those, if I don't ask the Holy Spirit to come and help me ch change some of those things in my life so that I can be a better witness, a better um, testimony or an ambassador for Jesus Christ, do I really believe it? Or are they just words? 
this is me, my freshman year of college. <laughs> this is before the selfie even, 2007. I borrowed my mom's digital camera for this. I came across this photo last night because I was like, I, there has to be a picture of my room or something my freshman year of college. Got my MJ poster there, you know, classic farmer seed hat, my Mountain Dew towel. But then at the top right there, what is that? Can you see that? It's this quote. <laughs> what I believe is not what I say I believe. What I believe is what I do. That's so cool. I, I found that last night. I didn't even know if I had a picture of that quote that would be distinguishable. But I wrote that on, my wall, on a piece of paper in a notebook, ripped it out and stuck it on my wall right above my bed. And I saw that every day when I woke up. And my freshman year of college, you guys, like, was, a, was an incredibly, like, growing experience for me as a follower of Jesus. As in high school, I believed in God. I served God in my local church. Um, and that's, that was one aspect of my faith. But there was another piece of me um, that I was not either aware of or and sometimes willing to give to the Lord and, and that had a lot to do with how I acted towards others outside of the faith, okay? I, didn't, I was not a compassionate guy. Ask Austin. She knew me in high school. I was not a compassionate person. I didn't care, really care or have empathy. I, um, I would say I believed something, right? And I was in the safety, so to speak, of like this um, church environment where everybody kind of believed what I believed. Um, but... Rubber met the road freshman year of college um, when I began to encounter and hang out with a lot of people with a lot of varying different beliefs and some with no beliefs at all and different lifestyles and different values. And I remember reading this book in my bed and having like this light bulb moment of, man, if I profess the name of Jesus, which I had with my words to, to many of my my dorm mates and others, but my life is not in alignment with how Jesus would want me to treat them and love them and care for them and befriend them, then what am I doing? This seems a little phony or a little false or a little futile. What's the point? And so I asked God to begin to shape me in that area. And I had a, my, my closest friends at school were Christians and we would encourage and challenge and um, hold one another accountable in these things and, and how we um, and just lived our faith authentically in, a, in a, a culture that was pretty hostile in a school that was pretty hostile towards um, people who uh, exclusively followed Jesus, you could say. Um, but I had a lot of friends um, and I stay connected with some of them still who you know, were either oppositional, completely oppositional or apathetic or um, atheist, um, but that was a turning point in my life that said, I didn't, I didn't have to, I wanted my actions to line up with what I believed. And reading James, even in, this is the Bible, the Bible is on my little end table. We don't need to look at that anymore. Um, <laughs> in that photo, my parents gave me this Bible when I graduated high school, and I, I had written in it, um, when I was studying in the book of James, I kind of would put dates in here when I, when I was reading stuff. In June of my freshman year, I, I wrote, you know, just June 10th, 2008, um, in this little passage of scripture, as I just knew, like, it was like a really formidable time for me. And it, and it began to become observable. 
And uh, you could ask Austin a part of that because it's kind of a part of our story. Um, though we didn't go to the same school, we, we stayed connected on MySpace, if you remember MySpace. <laughs> so authentic faith, obedient, observable, and the third is action-oriented. Came across a quote that said, training, not trying. As followers of Jesus, we are in training. We don't have to just try, try, try to do these things. We want to train ourselves to become more like Jesus. And that takes in, just like if you're training for a marathon, you're not going to go out and just run a marathon tomorrow and be like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to try. doesn't matter how hard you would try. If you haven't trained, it's not going to happen, okay? I'm talking about running it, not just like walking, all right? Uh, <laughs> we have to train ourselves. And as followers of Jesus, um, in that same way, we can have pathways for how we can grow in a certain area right? Some of the people that you see, the greatest heroes of the faith, they didn't do that big heroic faith thing as their first step of faith, right? It was every day walking in obedience to God. What do you have for me today? How can I live for you? And over time, those muscles of faith are, are, are grown. They begin to mature. You begin to become a spiritually healthy person. And so that something that seems big and audacious, a big faith move to one person, um, because of where you are at in your walk with the Lord, maybe it doesn't seem that way because you're just being obedient to the next thing that God has for you. But it's not worth comparing. If you can go run for five minutes or maybe you can run a mile or a half mile, it's not, you don't compare yourself to the marathon runner and be like, well, I'm not as good as that, so what's the point of even running, <laughs> right? No, there's purpose in it every day. There's purpose in growth every day in our training as followers of Jesus. Not because we are going to try to earn righteousness, right? Earn eternal life. But because it's been freely given to us, we do these things as a response to that. James 2.17 says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. An authentic faith is action-oriented. Rachel mentioned our Easter giving project. This is, a, this is an opportunity for us to put kind of our money where our mouth is here as a, as a church body and say, uh, we want to live authentic lives filled with faith to help people that we probably are never going to meet, um, not only create a sustainable life for them and their communities, but ultimately, like through that, through the partnerships with the local church there in Turkana, people are going to hear the good news. People are going to respond and people are going to enter into a forever relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we do this Easter giving project, right? Yeah, there's humanitarian, there's a need there. We want to practically meet that need, but we want to do that in a way that earns us the right to be heard with the gospel because it's faith in action. Uh, next week, this, this little girl, her name's Saika. And she's a part of Tabitha's Heart. And our kids' ministry had this idea of what if we sponsored um, a kid in India through Tabitha's heart. And Sue is going to be sharing next week a bit of her testimony, and your daughter Becky's going to be here and talking about their recent trip to Tabitha's heart. And this is a picture um, of this little girl, Saika, that you met her. And this gift bag is not a sweater from the internet. <laughs> it is a gift bag full of pictures and letters from the kids in our kids' ministry who wrote those, and it just blessed this little girl. And we're meeting some very practical needs. We're meeting education needs. 
um, through, through that gift that those kids are giving to faithfully now month after month, but it's faith in action. Some other practical examples maybe for us. It's to love our enemies, that's faith in action. To care for those people who maybe don't like us, maybe have something against us, that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus in really sometimes hostile situations, awkward situations, whatever type of situation it is, Jesus says to love them, to pray for them, to care for them, to, to do as Jesus has done for you to them. We pray for people. We did that all week this last week as a part of prayer week. We serve. We serve together. We serve as families. We serve in community. We serve when no one's watching, right? We serve in secret like we talked about a couple months ago. We give, right? Like I just mentioned, we give as the body of Christ through our Easter giving project with World Relief. We give as a kids ministry, as individuals or families. I would like to put in another special plug here for for next week because um, Tabitha's Heart has a sponsorship program and Becky, uh, Sue's daughter, who works with Rachel, she's stateside, um, she's going to be bringing some packets of kiddos in India who are in need of a sponsor. I'm aware of, of at least one family, part of Living Stones, who s- sponsors um, a kid over there. Um, but we would love, if we have the means, you guys, to meet some of these practical needs, be the hands and feet of Jesus through that. So you'll hear more about that next week. I'd like to encourage you to come back for that. Another way is just to open our door, like literally our front door. Open our front door to invite people in. Invite in neighbors maybe that we haven't connected with in a long time. Um, maybe there's a situation where you can just invite some people over from work and just do that as an expression of your faith in action, just to build relationships and to, to water seeds and plant seeds. And then uh, my last one is just to be a fan. Um, Allie, student ministries director, on Friday we had a series of basketball games at the high school, middle school, and Allie's a fan, and she showed up for those students. And I, I look out there and I see... Um, parents and friends and people that are part of Living Stones that don't have any kids or any kids a part of the program that are showing up to support these kids, to be a fan, to cheer them on, to support them, to build into that relationship. It's, it's, it's hard to quantify what that, what that does in the life of a student, but maybe you can think of a time when someone was, was your fan. And we do it in the name of Jesus. There's just a whole other layer of spiritual ripple effects that can happen. It's authentic faith, abiding faith, obedient, observable, and action-oriented. And all of this, this genuine faith is, what I'm saying is rooted in rescue. It's rooted in the fact that, that God had a rescue plan for us. We were helpless. We were defenseless. We were living in our sin. There was nothing we could do in and of ourselves to make our relationship right with God. There had to be a plan. And so when we have the correct view of this, it changes how we live, you guys. It's transformative. About 10 years ago in Romania, maybe some of you remember hearing this story, um, a little boy, almost three, fell down a well, 49 feet. Community first responders came out did everything that they could do to try to get this little guy 
out of this well into this small pipe. None of them could fit down. They lowered this harness down. I mean, 49 feet. That's a long ways. They didn't know if he was upside down or what. He'd been down there for hours and hours and hours. And they were on this rescue mission. And this little guy here, 14-year-old, was strong enough and small enough to volunteer his life, basically, to go down to this very difficult situation, get harnessed up by the feet, and get dropped into this well for this little guy. That's a, 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 a dad is there, just uncertain of the situation. And let's let's check it out. I said this and he opened it like not In response to that, how do you think that family and that community acted towards that boy who, who went down there and and risked his life to save that little guy? Do you think they just went about their lives and were like, that was pretty cool? I believe that happened. No, it transformed them. They wanted to celebrate. They wanted to, like, what can we do to set this kid up, this 14-year-old? What can we do to set up him and his family? The mayor donated a, a plot of land and a home to build for their family. There were awards given. There were accolades. And that story went viral about a decade ago. And even within the last year, it kind of made the rounds on the internet again. People are still talking about it. What's going on with that that almost three-year-old, now that he's you know, 13, what's going on with that boy who was 14? Now he's 25 and uh, he's a firefighter. He's a first responder because of that situation. And their celebration and life transformation happened in a very real way because of that life-saving act. But that's what Jesus did for us. He pulled us out of the pit. Scripture says, when we were helpless and defenseless, Lost in our sin, Jesus came and he pulled us out. He made a way through his, his life, his death, and his resurrection. So how can we not, if we believe that here, how can we not allow that to, to change us here so that we can't help but how we live? Authentically, in an action-oriented way, in a transformative way, by the power of his work, the Spirit, inside us. I'd like to invite you guys to stand with us as we as we sing together.